Have you ever felt, have you ever felt like you needed a vacation from life or that, you know, things keep piling on and you just want to escape or you're kind of like waiting for the next thing to pile on top of you? Or maybe you're going through something right now and you're like, when will this end? And so for today, as we're thinking about those things, those real difficulties in struggles of life, how does Jesus change, help, kind of help us navigate into those things? How does it change our perspective? So we're going to look at the book of Colossians. And what's interesting about the book of Colossians, it's written to a group of people in Colossae, which is modern day Turkey, east of the coast, east of the site of Ephesus, and the people here, there is something about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that has said, wait a minute, we need to be a community, we need to be a church, we need to come together, but they're still struggling. They're still struggling with how to respond culturally, with how they've always responded to difficulties, to events, and so Colossians is being written to them to help give them direction, help help them find a way forward that is centered on Christ, that is focused upon Christ, that says, wait a minute, Christ is leading you through this, and here is how. Here's how to think about it. And what's interesting, if you were to back up into the first chapter, which we're not going to read through today, but it would say that it was written by Paul. Now, scholars actually debate that. They're debating. They think it's one of his, it, it is one of his disputed letters. They've wondered if it's like the next generation, the third generation that actually wrote it. And so we get this sense of there's a problem there. However, what's I think important for us to remember today is that Paul is said to be the writer and that he is writing from prison. And he is writing about a way forward. He's writing about freedom in people's lives from prison. And so if we take that context today, it might give us a little more perspective on, okay, how can we really navigate these difficult, these struggles when we just want to hide from life? How do we figure out how to respond to life in a way that is connected to Christ? Because Paul and so many others throughout the ages have figured this out even when they find themselves imprisoned. And we've talked about that metaphor, that it's a great metaphor beyond just a physical imprisonment that so often we feel like we are imprisoned by so many things in life. And so for today, as we go through this, let us be reminded, keep that perspective of somebody wanted this writing even if it wasn't Paul, somebody wanted this writing placed in the midst of Paul being imprisoned. So beginning in Colossians, the second chapter, verses 6 through 10. So live in Christ Jesus, the Lord, in the same way as you have received him. Be rooted and built up in him. He established in faith and overflow with thanksgiving, just as you were taught 
See to it that nobody enslaves you with philosophy and foolish deceptions, which conform to human traditions and the way the world thinks and acts rather than Christ. All the fullness of deity lives in Christ's body. And you have been filled by him who is the head of every ruler and authority. All right, this sentence, be rooted and built up in him. He established in faith and overflow with thanksgiving. Be rooted in the teachings of Jesus. Be rooted in the things that he taught. And when we're going through those things, you know, this is a moment that's really important for us to know the stories out of the Gospels. Because there are so many, right? Be rooted in the teachings of Jesus' healing, of his love, forgiveness, grace, mercy, of the way he fed others, the way he strengthened others, the way he responded to the needs in whatever way he thought possible, of being rooted in those teachings so much so that you immediately come back to them, that we begin to practice them. Then we get this be built up, encouraged, be encouraged, be strengthened by knowing that the presence of God is with you. Be strengthened by the grace that always has you, no matter what you are facing, no matter the decisions you make, that grace always has you. Be encouraged in the fact that we were created in love for peace and joy by God. Be encouraged that however, whatever's happening, whatever pain seems to be consuming us, that that doesn't get to define who we are, that we are only defined by a God of love. Be encouraged that the situation that you face doesn't get the last word on your life. Be encouraged that nothing you can do can separate you from the love of God. Be encouraged. And then Thanksgiving, that sense of gratitude. Be grateful. Be grateful every single day. Be grateful in how the little things of life. Be grateful where you do find love. Be grateful where you are able to respond with healing. Be grateful for the small things. Be grateful for the beauty that surrounds you. Be grateful for fill in the blank. So to think about those three things is really kind of important as we're having this discussion of how do we navigate through those really difficult situations? Because these are the three practices that Colossians is setting up for those who are reading it and for those of us today of how are we practicing those three things? The teachings of Jesus, to encouragement and gratitude, because those are the things, those are the things that are going to help us get through and also give us a foundation for when this gets said. See to it that nobody enslaves you with philosophy and foolish deception, which conform to human traditions and the way the world thinks and acts rather than Christ. And you may be going, okay, what does that exactly mean? Be wary be wary of the notion that you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps, that you don't need anybody because we were created for community. We were created to love one another. We were not created for isolation. We were created to help and love and be with one another. We all need somebody in our lives. Be wary of that notion 
Be wary of that philosophy of pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. Be wary of the notion of success, of if you just get more, if you just get more job promotions, if you just have more money, if you just have a bigger house, if you can just buy more, if you can have more possessions, if you can have more relationships, if you can have more of, that you will be fulfilled. Be wary of the pain that says that is all you are, that consumes all of your life, that says this is it. Be wary of those who sit in despair and say the world is falling apart and invite us into it. Here's a few more. Be wary of moral superiority in working yourself literally to death. Be wary of messages that say, you've done well for yourself, you've got yours, and care nothing about anybody else. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, and whoever wins, wins the prize, and you don't, get to, you don't have to care about anybody else because you're good. Be wary of the notion that if certain traditions aren't followed, if certain gifts are not bought, then Thanksgiving and Christmas are obviously ruined. Be wary of the notion, be wary that if, that if you've got somebody in your life who says, nope, not good enough, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, or you should have done, or this, that be wary of that person who attaches your self-worth to those things. Be wary. Be wary that you fall into this notion that you have to do everything yourself and can't ask for help. There are so many of these things about be wary of, and notice the things that I listed off are completely disconnected from the notions of Jesus' teachings, of encouragement, and of gratitude. Be wary of those things that cannot connect to Jesus' teachings, to encouragement, to gratitude that we practice every single day of our lives. Those practices, those notions, those messages in our head, those things that we hold on to so tightly that really are disconnecting us from love, from encouragement, from gratitude. Continuing on in verses 11 through 13. In him you were also circumcised, with a circumcision not administered by human hands. The circumcision of Christ is realized in the stripping away of the whole self-dominated by sin. You are buried with him through baptism and raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead because of the things you had done wrong and because your body wasn't circumcised, God made you alive with Christ and forgave all the things you had done wrong. All right, so this language of circumcision, you may be going, what are we talking about? Here's the thing. It was a really hot topic in the first century. It was a hot topic between the practicing Jews who followed Jesus, and it was a hot topic with the Gentiles 
who weren't practicing Jews who were following Jesus. And so there was this hot debate about going back and forth of whether or not the Gentiles should be circumcised like the Jews. And so they go back and forth. But here, this metaphor is being used to talk about what needs to be cut out of our lives, what needs to be removed from our lives that disconnect us from Jesus. And to recognize that Jesus said, you can put all that stuff away, that what, how Jesus lived, that life, death, and resurrection made that change possible. Jesus said, no, you can cut that stuff out. I have cut it out for you. You can let go of that. You don't have to hold on to that anymore because I've got it. You struggle with that sense of forgiveness, I've got it. We struggle with that sense of the burdens that we place upon ourselves or that others have placed upon us. And Jesus is like, no, I got it. Give it over to me. I will take care of it. I will remove it. And then this sense of baptism, this symbol, this symbol of what has already been done, of God's grace and God's love, this sense of being part of a community that is focused upon the love of God, how God changes our lives. So a symbol of, and even if we don't remember our baptism, maybe we we're baptized as babies, it doesn't matter because this is a symbol of God's presence, of being a part of something, of being part of a community that says we can let go of and we can move forward in. We can choose to focus on peace. We can choose to focus on being created in love for peace and joy. Or we can choose to focus on all those things to be wary of. And so here, this symbolism, this trying to get to think about in the sense of what Christ has done and that all the things we have done or not done are forgiven. We are forgiven. Right? It says, God made you alive with Christ and forgave all the things you had done wrong. Be free. That practice of being free, that practice of baptism is a practice of freedom. So when we remember our baptisms, it's actually a practice of freedom. It's a part of the practices of following Jesus' teachings, being encouraged, being grateful. And so to remember that, to, to keep that in mind as we are going through, as we're trying to feel as we're trying to figure out how to get through the struggles, as we're trying to figure out how to respond, as we feel like we're just waiting for the other shoe to drop, or maybe we have enough shoes that have dropped that we're ready to open a shoe store. That sense of what are we focused upon? Are we focused on what Jesus has said? Nope, I've got it. Let me take care of it. Give it over. Are we focused upon the encouragement in that? Are we focused upon the possibilities that Jesus brings instead of what's not working out? What's not the way we want it to be? Continuing on in verses 14 through 15. He destroyed the record of debt we owed with its requirements that worked against us. He canceled it by nailing it to the cross when he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he exposed them to public disgrace by leading them in a triumphal parade. All right. So this language of debt, uh, just popping a little uh, throat lozenger here. 
so I don't start coughing while I'm talking. Um, this language of debt, of saying, Jesus got it. Like, he paid it. Like, whatever you think you did that somebody needs to make amends for or that you need to make amends for, in a sense of, I could never repay that. And we use that language, right? We've probably, we may have used that language with somebody else. Thank you so much for doing whatever for me. I can never repay you. So Jesus is like taking care of it all. And this language of debt is not meant to be all-consuming or the only thing that defines, but is really trying to get us to look at yet another way that Jesus has allowed us to let go of. That says, you know what? We can move forward. We can move on from Stop having to burden yourself with. It's a language of saying possibility, right? If we let all those burdens go, if we recognize that Jesus has got it all, all of a sudden, how does our life begin to change? And maybe it's even better than we could have ever imagined. So that practice of saying, Jesus has it. Let him have it. God has us. Christ has us. Grace has us at every single step. Whether we know it or not, whether we want to recognize it or not, grace has us. And so to be able to respond in that manner begins to change our lives, to be practicing that, reminding ourselves. When we get upset, when we're like, wait a minute, you don't deserve, that person made a bad decision, they don't deserve, they aren't good enough, hey, I worked really hard here, and I am entitled to, but they are not, this is the kind of language where Jesus is like, wait a minute, hold up here, hold, hold up a minute, love, none of us deserve anything, none of us are entitled to, Jesus is like, our first response when we see somebody that something good has happened for, that maybe we think they've made a lot of bad decisions in their life, they don't deserve anything, that Jesus is like love. Love is first. That our practice is, wait a minute, love. Wait a minute, Christ. Wait a minute, none of us are entitled or deserve because of the things we've done or the things that we've not done. Jesus is like, back it up right there. And so Colossians is reminding the people of that, reminding them of it. Because it's easy to get caught in. Wait a minute, I've worked so hard. Like, uh, how? why do they get and I don't? And Jesus is like, love. See it in love. Feel it in love. What does the love of Jesus, how would Jesus respond in this moment and this is where that practice of knowing Jesus' teachings, reading, listening, knowing the Bible, knowing the Gospels, and all of the stories we have about Jesus are important when we begin to feel that. Wait a minute, they don't deserve, right? The story of the prodigal son, the oldest son is like, wait a minute, I work so hard and, and my brother doesn't deserve. And the father's like, love. Love. Jesus tells that story because he's like, love. It's a moment of calling us to grace, to practicing grace.
which is a teaching of Jesus. Continuing on in verses 16 through 19. So don't let anyone judge you about eating or drinking or about a festival, a new moon observance, or Sabbaths. These religious practices are only a shadow of what was coming. The body that casts the shadow is Christ. Don't let anyone who wants to practice harsh self-denial and worship angels rob you of the prize. They go into detail about what they have seen in visions and have justifiably, are unjustifiably arrogant by their selfish way of thinking. They don't stay connected to the head. The head nourishes and supports the whole body through the joints and the ligaments, so the body grows with a growth that is from God. Practices. And we talked a couple weeks ago about the Pharisees and how the Pharisees would use rules to hurt and divide other people and to say, hey, look at me, look how good I am, and you aren't that good. You aren't that special. And so here... The writer is like, wait a minute, pay attention to the, what are those practices? Are you elevating yourself above others? Do you think you are better than? And it goes back to kind of that previous passage, those previous words in verse 15 of when he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he exposed them to public disgrace by leading them in a triumphal parade. The Romans, the Jewish authorities, the legal experts, they all were like, hey, we just, you know, we can't stand Jesus. And and the people are like, okay, we can't stand Jesus, but, but why? Like he was healing people, he was helping people, but we're going to hate him? We're going to hate him for helping and healing people? And that's the practice? Like that, that's the practice we're going to use? And so here to further go, we do things every single day, eating and drinking. We do things, practices every single day. And is it to make ourselves, to elevate ourselves over one another or is it to try to connect us to the head, which is Jesus? Is it something that is connecting us, nourishing us, and giving us room for growth? Because if we stay in a state of those things that be wary of, or you don't deserve like I deserve, or using rules to divide, to put down, then we have to go, wait a minute, are we disconnecting from Jesus? Are we disconnecting from those teachings? Are we disconnecting from that grace and encouragement and gratitude? And so to be very careful that our everyday practices, our everyday thoughts, the messages that we hold on to, that we consume and we hold on to, are they connected to Jesus, who is all about grace, who is all about love, who's all about healing, who's saying, you know what? Let it go. Let your burden, your debt has been paid. Move on, move forward. Are we connected to somebody who cheers for one another when something good and wonderful happens in their life? Or are we like, no, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. We, we get to be angry when someone has healing, when someone's life is changed because they didn't work as hard as us. And Jesus is like, grace. We all need grace. None of us are perfect. None of us make all the right decisions. None of us, none of us do everything the way it's supposed to be done. We all need grace. And so are we going to connect to the grace that nourishes us? Are our practices connecting 
to the grace that nourishes us. Finishing up in verses 20 through 23. If you died with Christ to the way the world thinks and acts, why do you submit to rules and regulations as though you were living in the world? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these things cease to exist when they are used. Such human commandments and teachings, they look like they are wise and with this self-made religion and their self-denial by the harsh treatment of the body, but they are no help against indulging in selfish and moral behavior. Practices, practices that attach us to grace, that nourish us, that are Jesus' teachings, encouragement, and gratitude are not frivolous. They don't just make it disappear. And this is how, if we've ever wondered how Paul can be free in prison, this is how, because of his practices, because of his practices of following Jesus' teachings, of following encouragement, of following, practicing gratitude. This is the same way that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when imprisoned by the Nazis, are, is able to be free. And if we're thinking, okay, well, they're different, they're special. This is how everyday people, everyday people who've experienced pain, are able to say, I will not be defined by it. This is how these practices, this is how everyday people who are surrounded, who live in the same world we do, who are surrounded by despair say, nope, I still have hope. I will hold on to hope. This is how people who face extraordinary challenges, how they face extraordinary challenges without being decimated. And a few more for us to think about. This is how people who face extraordinary situations, who are in prison, still have joy and peace. This is how everyday people who experience rejection exude joy. This is how everyday people who have been wronged by others, right? They have been wronged by others at every turn still are the first to say, how can I help? This is how everyday people who remain focused on what is most important, no matter what somebody gets up in their face and tries to disrupt their day and tries to tear them down. This is how Everyday people remain free when there's so much in this world, so many situations in life that can imprison them. And so to think about that, that if these are the practices, if these are the practices that help everyday kind of people face these monumental things, face these very difficult moments and still have, are still able to love and help others, are still able to find peace, who are able to say, you know what, that pain is not going to define me, who are still able to say, wait a minute, yeah, life is difficult, but I don't need a vacation from it. These everyday people are practicing Jesus' teachings. They are practicing encouragement. They are practicing gratitude at every single turn. And so what are we willing to do? What are we willing to do to practice those? Are we willing 
to read the stories of Jesus over and over again to the point that we know them so well that when something happens, we can immediately pull from that story that we have decided, you know what? I am going to dedicate some time to that just so that we can make sure we are practicing those teachings. Are we willing to take time for prayer, to be able to pray, to lay bare our souls to God and then to listen? Are we willing to make time for that? Are we willing to get uncomfortable? And how uncomfortable are we willing to get? Because Jesus' teachings get us uncomfortable. They make us have some really hard conversations with ourselves and with others. Are we willing to get uncomfortable and put ourselves out there and try to facilitate and build brand new relationships in order to give us perspectives that we had never even considered? Are we willing to begin to listen to others in such a way, instead of passing judgment and criticizing so often like the Pharisees do, are we willing to listen to others in order to know how we can respond, how we can be of help, how we can be that healing presence for someone else. What are we willing to do to practice Jesus' teachings, to practice encouragement, to practice gratitude? Are we willing to take the time or do we just want somebody else to do it for us? Because, well, I mean, that, that's easier. I don't have to worry about. What are we willing to do to practice these things? Colossians is challenging. Being a follower of Jesus is challenging. And yet, we see throughout history, we can pull more than Paul and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We can pull... Joan of Arc, we can pull Martin Luther King Jr., we can pull all kinds of people throughout the ages who remained free because of their practices, no matter the situation that they found themselves facing. And so, what are you willing to practice today? What are you willing to do to practice Jesus' teachings, to practice encouragement, to practice gratitude because all of us need it all of us need those practices in our lives all of us need freedom in some way all of us need to be able to respond when life gets difficult and allow it to, and don't allow it to level us we need to be able to respond in such a way that says no with Christ all things are possible with Christ there is a new way. With Christ, there is a way forward. With Christ, love is possible. Amen.